If you have a Bible in front of you, or if you have it on your phone, go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1. The scripture will be on the screens as well. This is Jesus speaking. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Okay, that was kind of awesome. I've never started a a, a sermon like that, just like open your Bibles. (laughs) I usually tell some dumb story or something. So I was like, I'm going to try this this morning. Like, be like Roger Wisdom. You know, he's like the James Bond of preaching. He just cools up. He comes up and like, open your Bibles. I'm like, that's so cool. I want to try that this morning. You know why? Because you guys can't judge me. <laughs> it just said that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> or you too will be judged. I feel a little judgment coming off you, though. I don't know why. And the funny thing is, the second reason... This is such a cool verse is because I can go off script because you guys can't judge me. I mean, this is going to be an awesome morning. I can say whatever I want to say. I can go. Carrie's shaking in his seat right now like, oh, my God. Obviously, that's not what Jesus was saying. Could you imagine me going off script? For those of you who don't know me, my name's Jeff Oldham. I'm the executive pastor here. And have a tendency to go off script, (laughs) which makes this ironic, but humorous to me, probably uncomfortable for some, because that's not what Jesus was talking about. But I think this is one of those verses that's been taken out of context for centuries. I think that we try to guard against somebody's criticism or evaluation of another. So we say, "You, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. In today's culture, I think it's been used as a license to do whatever we want, to have whatever lifestyle we think we want, and you can't pass judgment on me. I mean, the Bible says so. This is one of those verses that people know exactly where to find it in the Bible and use it against others just to say, oh, I can live whatever lifestyle I want. But obviously, that's not what Jesus is talking about because we can't live whatever lifestyle we want. Because we all know intuitively this doesn't seem right. Without some sort of standard or evaluation of ideas, thoughts, behaviors, or boundaries on what is good and right, then I could just get up here and say whatever I think is right. And that would make people squirm in their seats. So before we get into this and figure out what was Jesus saying, I think we need to let the Holy Spirit in the room with God's people through God's word inform this morning. So before we do that, let's pray and ask him to do that. Let's pray. Father, you are the standard for all that is good and right. So teach us this morning, Lord. Bind our hearts to yours. Get our thoughts in rhythm with yours. Whatever your thoughts are, Lord, impart them to us this morning through your goodness 
and your mercy and your grace. Patiently teach us, Lord. So God, as we look at your word, you speak and give us ears to listen, eyes to see, and hearts that are open. And Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Before we unpack this morning's passage, I do want to take a second. Each guy that's gotten up here this summer has done this, but I think it's just applicable to just say thanks to those guys that have faithfully come up here and dealt with God's word accurately and appropriately. So for Dax, Joe, Chuck, and then great job last week for Matt Wade. Just can we give them a round of applause? So. I think we're blessed as a church to have such faithful men that teach God's word so well. Uh, so let's jump into today's passage. I think Jesus stays on point this morning. Throughout the entire series, the Sermon on the Mount that we've been doing this summer, he's been challenging some entrenched Jewish and religious cultural perspectives that weren't necessarily godly or biblically accurate. Each week we've seen Jesus confront this I've got to do right. I've got to be a good person. This adherence to the law lifestyle. See, the Jewish people had been taught that they could be saved, get right with God, live a life of purpose, be at peace, get into heaven, if they would just adhere to the law. The problem is they all knew they couldn't meet God's perfect standard for what the law required, the common people or the religious people. The inevitable outcome was this, though, and I think we see it in our society today, that people start dividing into categories, righteous, the in crowd, the unrighteous, the sinner. As we step into today's passage, his teachers are going to elicit three questions for us. And I'm going to unpack these. I'm not going to give you all three questions at first. You're going to have to pay attention. So stay awake. And so these three questions we're going to unpack. Um, and we're going to have to ask ourselves as we evaluate, how do we rightly judge a situation or a person's actions? And Jesus helps us out. So let's go back to where we started before I started clowning around up here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, and pay attention to this, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now Jesus is not saying that we're not supposed to judge others. He's pointing out in verse 2. This is critical that we are called to use the correct standard for all judgment. He says, by the measure you use. Another way of saying this is whatever standard we use to make a judgment, the person being analyzed can use that same standard unpack is what's my standard? What's my standard or measure that I use to judge a situation or a person's thoughts and actions correctly? See, in the common culture, in today's culture, the standard for measuring or judging something would be the individual level. It's my truth. We've all heard that. It's my truth. 
That's just saying I get to do or say or think the things I want to say or do or think. It's my truth. I get to determine what is morally good and right. But I would suggest this is a dangerous place to be. If each individual gets to decide and dictate what is right or wrong, this could be very dangerous. So let me give you an example. It may be a silly example, but I think it illustrates what I'm talking about and what Jesus was getting at. Let's just play this out. What if I was to say this? I, Jeff Oldham, this is my truth, do not adhere to the driving laws within Lubbock, Texas. Matt Barber's sitting right there. He's a police officer. He's thinking, this would be horrible. That's exactly right. What if I decided I just don't, I don't want to adhere to the laws? I'm going to uh, drive whatever speed I want to. Speed limits, irrelevant. Stop signs, suggestions. <laughs> just whatever I want to do, right? Obviously, that's going to be a little dangerous. Now let's unpack this. Each individual that has a driver's license, let's say there's 100,000 in Lubbock that have a driver's license and decide to do the same thing. It's my truth. I don't have to adhere to the laws of the land. I can decide what's right or wrong. We would have the biggest bumper car arena in the world. And some of you may be thinking, that would be so much fun. Actually, that'd be kind of awesome. Thanks for suggesting this, Jeff. Here's the problem, though. You're wielding a one-ton killing machine. That's what sin does. We think we can do whatever we want. But unchecked, it always goes wrong. So what is the standard? I mean, I've played this scenario, scenario out so many times in my life, and I've concluded this. There's only one standard from a good and gracious and perfect God that gets to determine what is right and wrong. It has to be something outside of us that determines the standard of morality of what is good and right. So what is this standard? It's going to be God's word. And he says that I, um, this is John 17, 17, says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I have a Thursday morning Bible study group. Where are my Thursday morning buddies? Raise your hand. There's my boys. All right. Thursday morning, we sit down and we're studying the Bible and we come across this and I did a word search on this. The word truth is not an adjective. It means God's word is not true. It means it's the standard for truth. All truth. Everything that we know to be true and good is folded out of God's word. That should sit with us. We can determine what we think is right, but God's word tells us what is right. Jesus is implying that we need to make sure that our measure our standard is correct, and it must be based on God's truth. And God's word is the only place that we can find that and that we can judge accordingly from. Our opinion or even group think and culture, that's the thing, is that you think, well, maybe I'm faulty, so maybe societally, governmentally, culturally, we'll decide what's right and wrong. What's society, government, and culture made up of individuals that are faulty. I think the Pharisees were probably thinking, though, at this moment, we judge using God's law. So they're listening to Jesus, and he, you hear him say that. 
the Pharisees were like, but we judge from a perfect standard. But remember, though, the Pharisees at that time were adding man-made structures to the law. We know this because religious leaders were using their own lens to interpret the law and pass judgment on people around them. Here's an example. In the school of Hillel, back at that time, it was taught that a man could divorce his wife. Pay attention to this. A man could divorce his wife for burning his food. That's how to live the righteous life. Just make sure you follow all the laws. This was one of them that was being taught in one of the schools. This was considered indecent behavior. They were creating righteous standards based on individual desires. This whole idea like, you know, I really don't care if my, for my wife right now. So I'm going to use the interpretation of the law to, de- to determine or to justify getting a divorce. Here's the problem, though. Can't we see this in today's culture? We see this in our churches as well. And sadly, unfortunately, we can see that in this room. I'm not trying to step on people's toes. But when we judge incorrectly from our own standard as our desires, we make some awful decisions that have hurtful consequences. See, marriages aren't sacred anymore. Not in today's culture. They're, they're not based on God's covenant promise. They've been hijacked by a me-first culture. Culturally, marriage has become an avenue to meet the individual's expectations. Instead of, and this would be God's design for marriage, a self-sacrificing, God-honoring, sacred communion. See, this self-imposed decision-making, what we're talking about this morning, where I get to determine what is right, is called self-righteousness. I get to determine what's right and wrong. I get to determine what I want, what I need. What we get is a culture full of individuals that are my truth seekers that start pointing fingers at each other. Is our culture unified? Does our society feel as one and at peace? It's because we're using a standard to point fingers at each other. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And we can't ever admit that none of us are wrong and that none of us are right. In that type of culture, people become disposable. So that's when Jesus says, And he comes back out, and I'll just repeat the first two verses. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you as well. Here's the rub. Am I willing to be judged by that same standard as well? If I'm going to judge people from whatever standard I have, am I going to be willing to be judged as well? Because I don't want to be a hypocrite, which he tells them later on in this passage. The Pharisees could not even hear to their own standard, and Jesus is calling them out. So Jesus turns the wrench a little bit. He tightens it down. He's like, you're not even judging from the right standard. You're giving your man-made opinions to this good and healthy God law. He he confronts the heart of self-righteousness 
by challenging their motives as well. So this is the next question. The first one is if we're going to step into a situation, if we're going to start looking at someone else's life, are we judging them from the right standard? The second one is what is my motive? Jesus is asking us, where is your heart when evaluating this person or situation? So let's read the next few verses because Jesus uses some incredibly wise and compelling thinking as he fleshes this out. So verses 3 and 4 say this. We've heard this passage before, but just listen. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? What a visual, right? We've all heard this, but have you ever thought about what it would look like? Somebody trying to get a speck out of your eye and they've got this plank, this two by four sticking out of their eye. They're like, let me get that out for you. And you're like, keep hitting me with your plank. Stop hitting me with your plank. Let me get that speck. Oh man, my nose is bloody now. I mean, it's, it would be a mess, right? Think through it. Just logically, it would be a mess for someone to just go, let me get that little speck out of your eye. And the whole time they're just whacking you with this two by four. I mean, we have doctors in our, in our midst that I think we have three eye doctors. I think they're ophthalmologists. I'm just throwing that out. I probably should have checked with them. They, uh, <laughs> they do surgery on eyeballs. So uh, all three of them would tell you it would be really hard to have some sort of crazy barrier or boundary or plank in their eyes. They're operating. A malpractice suit is the next thing they will hear. Just get the visual. So practically, how is a person going to help remove a speck from somebody else's eye if they have a massive obstruction in their own? Jesus, in his infinite mercy, doesn't leave us hanging, though. And he never does. He gives us instruction on how to truly help a friend. He begins to unpack how we can judge rightly. First, he says, what standard are you using? Now he's going to check our motive. Because in verse 5, he says this, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Makes sense, right? And then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Common sense. Jesus is implying that before we step into a place of judgment, we better make sure that we take a hard look on the inside. In the words of the great theologian, Ice Cube, said, check yourself, check yourself. Before we start judging somebody else, we better check ourselves. That's what Jesus is getting at. So how do we enter into these conversations with the right standard and the right motive? And how do we position ourselves not to be a hypocrite? And this is where I think Jesus lands a masterstroke. He tells the crowd, the cure for plank eye. That's what I've been calling this. Like, you got a case of plank eye. Judgmental, critical nature means you got a case of plank eye. It's like pink eye. It's infecting. It's gross. You got a case of plank eye. So how do you solve or cure this plank eye? And he tells us, we must take the plank out of our own eye. So my first question 
I've had time to study this, so I'm going to let you inside my head, and I'm so sorry for doing that, but this is inside my head. My first question would be, what's the plank? What's the obstruction? We need to know what the obstruction is. What are we not seeing that we can't get around to help our friend get that speck out of his eye? Well, I think, and this is much more in context to this verse, I think it is self-righteousness. It could be arrogance. In all of us, there's this little seed of pride. It's sin. This is what is driving that critical self-spirit and a judgment. How do I take the plank of sin out of my eyes? I can't. You can't. So what's Jesus saying here? His message of the Sermon on the Mount has been laying this out for the whole time. Is that we're trying to fix what was broken on the inside with exterior behavior. If I'm good enough, if I do the right things, if I follow all the commands, then I'm going to be righteous before God. And then I can judge rightly. With this particular message this morning, example this morning, they thought their self-righteous judgments could help them judge rightly. But Jesus was presenting something new. He was saying, you have to have something on the inside that changes. Your external behaviors, your self-righteousness, your pride and arrogance aren't going to do it. You can't follow the standard of the law. Let's look at back at some of his statements as he's laying this out. Matthew 5.20, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You got to be more righteous than the most righteous people in your culture. That would be shocking to me. Well, I can't meet that standard. Then he keeps going. Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect. Does this not give you chills up your spine? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How could they be more righteous than the, the Pharisees? They couldn't. How can they be perfect to a holy standard? They couldn't. Then he says, first take the plank out of your own eye. And if I know the plank is sin, how can I take sin? How can I be forgiven of sin on my own merit? I can't. And they couldn't. They couldn't do any of these things. Jesus was creating this tension. I don't know if you feel it or not, but they, he was creating this tension that they all felt. We can't be righteous through our own behaviors. We can't meet God's perfect standard. And we all know something's wrong on the inside. And every person in this place this morning has walked this same route. At some point, you go, something's broken. Something's broken in me. Something's broken in this world. And, and weirdly enough, i got to figure it out, which makes me feel self-righteous. And Jesus knew that he was the answer for this tension. And they didn't know it yet. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says this, though. Paul says, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Something has to change on the inside for us to be able to deal with what's on the outside. He became their righteousness. He became their perfection. He was the cure for their plank eye by humbly going to the cross for them and for us. So because of the cross, and I hope you were listening to the songs this morning, There's no merit in me. My merit was given by a good and loving, gracious God on the cross. Because of the cross, we can now enter into hard conversations. Standing on God's truth. We can now see clearly into people's circumstances and approach, approach them with humility and grace. How did he make this possible? Because at the cross, we were shown so much grace. Guys, we were lost. Every person in this room wandering in a wilderness of self-righteousness. That was my story. And then Jesus stepped in. Out of the deepest ocean of love and grace, he took the judgment for us. So why shouldn't we be compassionate and merciful with someone who is lost and hurting. That's what sawdust in the eye is. It's irritating. And if it's left there long enough, it gets an infection. And Jesus says, let me take that out of your eye. Personally, I've been shown so much more grace than I can even handle. I mean, how can he love a broken human like me? If you guys got inside my head long enough, you'd understand. It's not always a fun place to be. So then what gives me the right to hypocritically judge others that are broken? So we wade into conversations out of love and compassion and grace. You know why? Because we've been shown so much love and compassion and grace from our Father. Let that sit in. Jesus paid it all, not us. It's an all-sufficient merit because of what He did, not us. So how am I supposed to walk into other people's lives with a judgmental and critical attitude when I've been shown so much grace. And then there's this weird last verse. The last verse this morning of the passage puts Jesus' love, compassion, and grace, I believe, on full display. So let's read it. Matthew 7, 6. It feels like it doesn't fit in. But follow. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do... They may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is Jesus saying here? I think it's a lot more nuanced than don't tell dumb people smart things. That's not what he's saying. Because if you just read it literally out of context again, that's what you'll get. Don't tell dumb people smart things. 
they're not going to understand anyway. I think what he's implying is such a, something so much more loving. What's my standard? What's my motive? Now, what's my hurry? I think Jesus uses some subtle sarcasm here, actually. He uses the dog and pig reference to illustrate a judgmental and critical culture that's bent and had a prevalence in the Jewish culture. The Jewish people used derogatory terms, subsequently judgmental terms, and names for non-Jewish people. Follow me. This one's a little more nuanced. Dogs and pigs. That's what they called them. If you're not a Jew, you're a dog or a pig. Those are harsh names. Jews believed non-Jewish people were unclean. They weren't worthy. Jesus was reminding his Jewish audience that non-Jewish people didn't have the same context as them. This is beautiful. They didn't know the one true God. They didn't have the same historical references. They didn't know or adhere to Jewish law. So wouldn't it seem foolish to judge them from Jewish standards? They didn't have the same worldview. That's what Jesus was implying. So he, he says, be patient with them. Slow down with them. What a great reminder for us. We all interact with the lost world around us, sometimes in our own homes, locally. Hear this, politically, through social media. And we need to remember that not everybody has the same Christian worldview we have. Not everyone has been changed from the inside out. How many times have we said this? I can't believe those people. Jesus is stating that we need to be patient and discerning with others that don't have the same worldview as us before we start casting out our pearls of wisdom. We met a young lady when we were overseas that didn't want anything to do with God. She wanted to hang out with our family. She wanted nothing to do with anything of this Jesus stuff. stuff. She told, told us. It wasn't, we didn't have to read it on her. She just told us. I don't have any, want to have anything to do with God. Not your Bibles, not your Jesus, nothing. Your family seems cool, but don't talk to me about this Jesus stuff. Her lifestyle reflected that as well. She was promiscuous. She blamed others. She blamed others for her circumstances. She was pretty self-absorbed. This was her world, her reality. So why would we pour out godly wisdom on her? And this is so, so specific. When she wasn't ready to hear it. We tried it a couple of times. Guess what happened? We got trampled. I don't want to hear it. So we got trampled. So by the wise discernment of the Holy Spirit, we waited. We loved her. We listened to her. And we found out how broken her family was. We found out there was abuse and abandonment in her past. So after a couple of years of walking with her, planting subtle seeds of God's truth, because you can't do, I mean, it's in our very fiber of what we do, 
planting seeds of who God is. She accepted those. And through humility and grace, she was ready to hear what Jesus was offering. She was baptized in the Caribbean Sea. She's now married, has two beautiful children, and has been faithfully walking with the Lord for almost nine years now. It's because we follow Jesus' teaching here. Because of his work in us, we could use the right standard. Through his humility, we took on the right posture. We had the right motives. And because of his patience, we were able to be patient. So what does this all mean for us this morning? I think Jesus is calling to us. 2,000 years ago, he's saying these words and they're echoing through our congregation this morning. His desire is that we ask these three questions anytime we approach a situation or a relational issue. What's my standard? Not what do I think about it. What's the standard that I'm using to even look at a lens of this guy's problem or this girl's problem? So I have to make sure that I understand what Jesus says about marriage, money, anger, sexuality, unity, anxiety, purpose. What's my standard? God's truth is our standard. It's always unfailing. It never tricks us. What's my motive? This one's huge. What posture do I take? Do I remember my own brokenness before gently walking with somebody else through theirs? Or am I just trying to be right? When, when I should be inviting them into a relationship with the one who is right. And we'll never get the chance of that unless we understand what's my hurry. Am I throwing around God's sacred, beautiful wisdom to somebody that's not ready? Or, and this is exactly what the whole New Testament feels like, am I abiding in Christ first? Do I listen to Him? Do I feel the Spirit speaking through me, or is it just me? Am I, or am I just listening to myself. Because Jesus gives us a heart to listen, the time to wait, the courage to be patient. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Does anybody see critical or judgment in that list? I'm just going to tell them what I think. That's not the fruit of the Spirit, guys. That's the fruit of the flesh. See, plank eye is nasty. Nobody likes it. And just a caveat, we may need others in our community to help us recognize it because we have blind spots. You know why? Plank eye. That's what creates blind spots. Our own self-righteousness. So we may need others to go, hey, yeah, I think you're going to need to dial that back. Let's talk about it. We need God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. 
And just as Jesus was helping people see their need for him 2,000 years ago, his reminder stands true for us this morning. There's only one cure that ails us. One. To humbly surrender to the King of Kings. Period. Because his heart is pure. His ways are gentle. His posture is humble. There is no other cure for plank eye than Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gentleness and patience with us, Lord. That we were once sinners, but you, you came and saved us. You walked out of heaven to walk into our lives, to change us from the inside out. Not our behaviors, Lord, but our love for what is good. And out of that love that we can be patient and kind and gentle with the world around us. And that we don't feel like we're judgmental. We just feel like we are ambassadors for something that is good and that is you. So God, this morning, plant deep in our hearts this posture of humility, the standard for what is good, and a courage to be patient and wait. Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.